0: Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Titus, chapter 2. We're continuing our series of Titus, Building a Disciple-Making Church. And this will be the fifth of seven messages And so Paul, in his letter to Titus, gives us direction on how to build a disciple-making church, and he opens up his playbook. And today we're going to talk about sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel. Did you know that over 150 years ago, there was a court case that was lost because of the silence of an attorney? True story. The distinguished lawyer, Samuel Orr, was representing the defendant. And when it was time to present his case, he looked at the jurors and he told them, the facts that favor my client are so evident that I don't even want to insult your intelligence by arguing them. And so the jury went to deliberate. They returned a few minutes later with a verdict of guilty. And the lawyer was astonished. He said, how could you reach such a verdict? And the head juror said, we all agreed that if anything could be said for the case, you would say it. But since you didn't, we decided to rule against you. Silence lost the case. You and I have to think about our lives as Christians. How often do we have an opportunity to speak a word for Christ and we lose it when we remain silent? Those that need to hear the gospel may think, well, I guess it's not important because they don't say anything about it. Now, that is not something to make you feel guilty this morning, but maybe it's a prod to say, hey, we need to be reminded of what's important and that what's at stake are people's lives, their souls, and eternity hangs in the balance, and we've only got one shot at this life. We have an opportunity today, and then today's over, and that opportunity's gone. Then there's tomorrow, and we have to take one day with its opportunities at a time. Look, if you will, in Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, we're going to look at five verses to finish the chapter this morning. In Titus two eleven, he says, "...for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lust, and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we'll stop there for just a moment. Have you ever thought about the gospel? Let's really focus in on what is the gospel this morning. Just in those few uh, short verses right there 11 12 and 13 notice that it gives us a framework for understanding the gospel first of all the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all uh, people in other words Christ came he lived he died on that cross that was the first coming of Christ of course after he was buried on the third day he rose again just like he said he would and then 40 days later, He ascended to heaven. And so we have the first coming of Christ, and then we have the second coming of Christ. Notice it says that we are waiting for the blessed hope, in verse 13, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Remember in the book of Acts, when the disciples witnessed Jesus leave, He, he, was, he was going up into the clouds, and then all of a sudden He was gone. And the angels were there and they said, you know, men, why are you standing around looking? This same Jesus that's left is going to come back the same way. He's going to come back in the sky, in the clouds. And so we have the first coming of Christ and we have the second coming of Christ. Then we have two ages. We have the present age. Look, if you will, again in verse 12 that, um, you know... uh, His grace instructs us to deny godlessness and worldly lust and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. And then when He appears in glory, the age to come. So we have the present age and the age to come. And then look at the difference between the two comings. In verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared... But then in verse 13, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. When Christ came the first time, grace showed up. Amen. I mean, he did something that we couldn't do for ourselves. He died on that cross for our sins in order to to bring us to God. He dealt with the sin issue. But when he comes back, it's going to be glory. And that's going to be awesome. I'm reminded of what... Paul told another young uh, minister in Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Here's what he said. He says, He, meaning the Lord, has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now uh, been made evident Through the appearing, there's that word appearing again, of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You know, that word that's translated appearing in our text is literally epiphany. You've heard the term epiphany before. And so there is an epiphany where the Lord appears. He enters time and space And we can look back on the timeline of history and say Christ came. And because He's came once, we believe that He will come again. 1 Corinthians 15 really fleshes out this framework of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4, Paul said to the church in Corinth, For I passed on to you, as most important, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that He was buried that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. When it says according to the Scriptures, that means it was prophesied, it was predicted, it was promised in advance ahead of time. And then when Christ came, He fulfilled what the Scripture said when He died. He fulfilled what the Scripture said when He rose again from the grave. And so we have the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus between the first coming of Christ... And the second coming of Christ, the most important thing is understanding the first time He came, it was because of His death, burial, and resurrection. That's what makes salvation possible for you and me. And then he, went, he ascended to heaven, and someday He is coming back, and that's when the glory will appear. And that is awesome. What I want you to realize today is that the gospel that we've been talking about is the story of our hope. You know, when you talk... To someone about their their testimony, tell me about your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ it should sound something like this because even though your story and my story is going to be different from an experience perspective there's certain markers that're going to be true for everybody okay and I 'm just going to give you the markers. the first marker would be guilt in other words, there comes a time that you realize you're guilty before God, and if something doesn't change or happen, you're going to stand before God someday on judgment on Judgment Day, and you're going to be guilty before God. Um, you know we talk about that a lot. John three seventeen. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Anyone who believes in Him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. There's the fork in the road. If you believe the Lord Jesus Christ and you've committed your life to Him, then there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. You don't have to worry about the day of judgment because He has took the the wrath that you and I deserve upon Himself when He died on the cross Our debt is paid. We're covered by the blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Amen? But if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, it says right here in John 3 that you are condemned already. Already! Because you refuse the one thing that can save you, and that is the name of Jesus. So everybody's story starts... From the place of guilt. We are guilty before God. And unless something changes, it doesn't look too good. But then the next part of the story, the second marker of the story of hope in the gospel is grace. Remember what we just read here in Titus 2.11? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. Uh, You and I, uh, if we are believers in Christ, we can say we've been saved by grace matter of fact Ephesians 2 8 says for you are saved by grace through faith and this not from yourselves it's a gift of God not from works so that no one can boast in other words I now have been saved by grace I was guilty before God but then the epiphany Christ appeared he came He died on that cross for you and for me. And now I receive, because I believe Him and trust Him, I receive His grace. So I've gone from guilt to grace. That's true of every single Christian. Regardless of the words you use in your testimony or how you verbally express it, that's the reality, is you've gone from being guilty before God and then when you realized what He's done for you and you believe Him and you receive it, now you've got grace. It makes all the difference in the world. Then let's look at the third marker of this story of hope, and that is to grow in godliness, to grow in godliness. I think it's interesting that going back to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, after it says we're saved by grace through faith and that it's not from works so that no one can boast, The very next verse, Ephesians 2.10, says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. You know, we're not saved by our good works, but we are saved to serve God, and there are good works that accompany our faith in Christ. Our faith in Christ is not empty lip service. We don't we don't say a, a good we don't talk a good game and then walk out the door and live as we please. No, when we when we trust Christ, when we receive Him into our lives, now because of His grace, we're changed and we grow in godliness. Okay, we begin to serve Him and we become more like Him. We begin to do the things that He would do because He's now uh, working in and through our lives. We grow in godliness. And then the last marker of this story of hope of the gospel is glory. Now that one hasn't happened yet, but because because of what Christ has already done when he came the first time, I fully believe with all my heart he's coming again. Amen. And the things that he's promised, he is more than able to do. I love what John says in 1 John 3 verse 2. He says, Dear friends, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when He appears, there's that word again, appears, all right? We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him as He is and everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. Isn't that good? You know, we don't know what what it's going to be like until it happens and we're there. But we do know that we're going to become like Him and we're going to see Him as He is. And that's going to be glorious. Okay? So that is what we have to look forward to as children of God. That's our story of hope. When you talk to someone about their testimony, they're going to be able to point to their life before Christ when they were in a place of guilt They were guilty before God. They had broken His law and they were condemned already without Christ in their life. And then they came to a point to where they trusted Jesus Christ. They received Him into their life and now they stand in grace. And now because of that, they're growing in godliness and they're looking forward to the day when they see glory. They see Jesus. Now, let's look at verse 14. I held it back for a reason. But here he begins to really press it home in Titus 2.14. It says he, in referring to Jesus Christ in the previous verse, He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Now... I want to answer a question here before we close. And I've got three answers for it. How do I know that I'm saved? Now, if I was going to use the whole scripture, I'd answer this a little bit differently. It wouldn't change the outcome. It wouldn't change the the content. It would just be deeper and broader of an answer. But since I'm limiting this question to verse uh, 14 in Titus chapter 2, let's answer that question in, in this specific sense. How do I know that I'm saved? Number one, our debt is paid. It says that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. You know, when you redeem something, you purchase it. You buy it back. And our debt before God has been paid in full by Jesus. Let me read another verse to you, Colossians 2, 13. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive with Him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. I remember um, when I was younger one time, we did a... uh, a vivid activity that really made this come alive. We had a wooden cross set up in the church. There were pieces of paper scattered around, and we had done kind of like a walk-through drama. It wasn't a judgment house, but it was kind of like a walk-through presentation of um, the Easter story. And we ended in the sanctuary, and here's this wooden cross, and here are sheets of paper with pens, and there's a little sign here with instructions. And it says, write down all of the sins that you can think of that Jesus died for when he saved you. And so, began to write all the sins. some people wrote down specific sins. Others were more general. Wrote down something, and then there were hammers laying around. You took a hammer and you nailed that sheet of paper with your sin written on it on the cross. On the cross. And then before you were done, they reminded everyone that when Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and for me, he took took that certificate of debt and he paid for it with his own blood. And now your debt, all those sins that you you, you broke God's law, you sinned against Him, and you're guilty, it's nailed to the cross, and now it's covered by the blood of Jesus. And that debt has been paid. Isn't that good? That's how I know that I'm saved. That's how you know that you can be saved. Is the debt that was there before God... And the separation that had happened because of my sin, that's now been taken care of. It's been paid in full by Jesus. Revelation 1 says it so well. You know, Revelation is a book about the future. It's about the hope that we have in heaven and the glories that will follow. And it reminds us of of this core truth at the very beginning of Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. It says, John... To the seven churches in Asia, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and who is to come. In other words, he's coming again. And from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who watches, to him who loves us, and has set us free from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his, God, to his God and Father, and to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. In other words, He loves us and He set us free from our sins by what? By His blood. That's how I know that I'm saved, is I my debt has been paid in full by the blood of Jesus. There's a second reason why I know that I'm saved, and that is our defilement is cleansed. You know, if you've ever had an issue with another person and fellowship became broken and you were aware of this gap between you and them and, you know, everybody says when you're young, well, you need to apologize. You need to say you're sorry. And that's certainly true. And that's a great first step. And that goes a long way. And you can, if you were were me when I was younger, I remember one time, I got in trouble at my grandparents' house and, and uh, Daddy-O, my grandfather, said, all right, y'all, come here. Y'all going to make up. You know, you say you're sorry. Now hug each other. And, you know, you're going through the motions. Sorry. Hug each other. Act like you mean it. Right? You, you know what I'm talking about. And so here we can be reminded that we can, we can go through the motions you know We can imitate behavior, but unless something happens in our heart, it's all for show. Well, see, what I want you to understand is not only is the debt paid by the blood of Jesus, but you know how sin leaves you feeling unclean and dirty? Well, he takes care of that too. You see, our defilement is cleansed. There in Titus 2, 14, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession. Not only did he cancel the debt, but now he cleans me up on the inside. I'm a new person. I've been born again. I'm saved. I've been changed. I'm I'm a new person. The old has gone. The new has come because I'm a new creature in Christ. John said it this way in his epistle in 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I'm going back to the blood again. Not only did the blood free us from our sins and pay the debt, but the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin. We sing the hymn, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Isn't that right? It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us. Hebrews 9, 14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God. Now, let me read that one more time, and I'll tell you what I want you to learn from that. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God? Sometimes people kind of want to hold back. They they really don't want to give their life to god i mean yeah they really they would they would like to but as they're thinking it through they get hung up on a few things they're reminded of their past they're reminded of all the bad things they've done and they're like well you know i don't know if god could save somebody like me or maybe they're willing to say well you know i guess i can be saved but I can't do anything for Jesus. You don't know how I used to live. You don't know the reputation that I have. You don't know. People will just look at me and go, nah. Well, what I want to say to you is what does the word say here? It says that the blood of Christ cleanses our conscience from dead works so that we can serve the living God. What does that mean? The blood of Jesus pays for my sin, the blood of Jesus cleanses me of my sin. The blood of Jesus purifies my conscience so that I can say, yeah, I wasn't who I should have been in the past, but I've been saved, I've been changed, and I want to tell you what He's done for me. You see, His blood has cleansed my conscience from the dead works in my old life to where I can serve a living God. I have a new hope because I have a living Lord. Look at what He did for me. His story is not over, and guess what? Neither is mine as a believer in Christ. I love Hebrews ten nineteen. Brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, He has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through His flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. There's that conscience word again. And our bodies washed in pure water. In other words, we now have a way Uh, in the Old Testament temple. No one could go into the innermost part, the most holy place, the holy of holies in the temple. Only one person could go through that part of the temple One day a year on the Day of Atonement, and it had to be the high priest. And he had to have blood, first for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people. And that was the only time that anyone could go in. Because in the most holy place, they believed that's where God dwelt. And God is so holy that no one can enter his presence. But Hebrews 10 says, brothers and sisters, I've got good news for you. Now you can not only go there; you can boldly go there. How? Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus now covers uh, your your sin debt before God. It has changed your life from the inside out. It has cleansed your conscience of all the things you used to do, and now you can you can receive all that He's promised for you because of the blood of jesus well let's go on how do i know that i'm saved my debt is paid my defilement is cleansed and the third one our desire is to serve him and not ourselves i've got one verse for that it says it better than anyone else could say it second corinthians 5 15 referring to christ and he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Think about that. When you come to the foot of a bloodstained cross and you realize that God sent His Son, that He died on that sin, not because of anything He did, but because of what we did. And He shed His blood as the sinless, stainless, spotless Lamb of God. He shed His blood to take away the sins of the world, and when you come to the foot of that bloodstained cross and you receive Him as Lord of your life, now the blood of Jesus has canceled your debt. Now the blood of Jesus has cleansed you from the inside out, and now the blood of Jesus has cleansed your conscience, and it has created a desire in you to serve God and live for Him and not yourself. That. Is the story of a Christian, and that's how I know that I'm saved, and that's how you know you can be saved. Have you settled the debt? I tell you what. Many times we become aware of the bad things we've done, and we kick ourselves for it. We 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 want to try to pay it off ourselves. Well, I'll just kick myself while I'm down. Uh, you know, I'll I'll do more. I'll do better. I'll try harder, and I'll 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 blame myself for this as long as I live. That might sound impressive to you, but that's not what the Bible says. You can't pay off your debt. I can't pay off my debt. Christ came. He died for that purpose. He shed His blood for that reason, so that our debt could be paid. Have you settled that into your life? For those of you that have made a decision and received Christ in your life, what about the heart? What about, what about the conscience? Do you still let the devil play with your mind? Or do you realize that the blood of Jesus washes away all our sin? It's like getting a bath for the first time. Now I am clean from the inside out before God. Not because of anything I have done or could do, but because of the blood of Jesus. And now I have a desire to serve Him and not myself. I love this poem. It says, The Gospel according to you. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are read by more than a few. But the one that is most read and commented on is the Gospel according to you. You are writing a Gospel, a chapter each day, by the things you do and the words you say. Men read what you write, whether faithless or true. Say, what is the Gospel according to you? Do men read his truth and his love in your life? Or has yours been too full of malice and strife? Does your life speak of evil or does it ring true? Say, what is the gospel according to you? When you realize that you've gone from guilt to grace to growing in godliness and looking forward to glory, when you realize that he's paid your sin debt, he's cleansed you by his blood, and now you have a desire to serve him and not yourselves, then you realize that's the mark of a true Christian. It's all because of what He did at the cross for us. The grace of God appeared, and He brings salvation to anyone that's willing to come to Him. And one day, He's coming back. Are you ready for that return of Christ? I pray and hope that you are. No wonder, he says in Titus 2.15, Proclaim these things, encourage, rebuke with all authority, and let no one disregard you. This is something young and old and everywhere in between. We need to hear the message of the gospel. We need to be reminded of the appearing of Christ and why he came the first time and the fact that he's coming again someday. And you know what? If you have received his grace the first time, you get to look forward to glory when he comes again. But if you've, never, if you've never received the grace of God in your life, I want to encourage you that you're living on borrowed time, that one day Christ will come, one day you will stand before God, one day you'll have to give an account. Are you ready for that day? And if not, it's my prayer today that you will turn from your old way of life and put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ while there's still time. Let's all stand. Musicians, if you would come, we're going to have a time of invitation. And this is your time to respond to God. What is God saying to you? God loves you. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. Have you made a decision to trust and receive Christ today? Father, we come before you. And I pray right now that you would speak to each and every person here. Father, I pray that we'll be reminded of the truth of the gospel. Lord, I pray that even now, Lord, you will stir our hearts. And Father, it's my prayer, Lord, that we'll all be able to have the story that's clearly seen in our lives of how you have changed us from guilt to grace to godliness to glory. And Father, I pray that when we have an opportunity to share your love and your truth with others, that we won't sit by in silence but will speak a timely word in due season trusting you Lord trusting you'll do something with it in your own time and way Father have your will in our lives done today in Jesus name Amen Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church To learn more about the church Find out meeting times or learn how to contact a pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.